0: Bismillah, uh, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa mawala. Allahumma alimna maa yanfa'ana wa zidna ilman wa wa ikhlasan ya rabbil alameen. It's excellent to be uh joining you all again. Uh, MashaAllah, what a beautiful uh gathering and what a uh, uh wonderful energy and enthusiasm from the crowd that we have here. MashaAllah. So uh, last week, we talked about uh, critical thinking from an Islamic perspective. And uh, if you recall, one of the major uh, takeaway points that we talked about last week uh, was, well, let me make this interactive. Let me ask you guys, inshallah, what was, what's the biggest difference between critical thinking from an Islamic perspective versus critical thinking from a, uh, the perspective of uh, Western philosophy? Anyone, raise your hand. Okay so the motivation behind the questioning is, is different okay excellent what else yes exactly so that was the main theme that we talked about last time was that the concept of the intellect the aql from an islamic perspective is rooted in morality so from the islamic perspective rationality and morality are tied together the aql the intellect is what restrains the human being from doing moral transgressions So from the Western philosophical perspective, rationality was divorced from morality. To the extent that we had certain philosophers in the West who said we should get rid of morality altogether. Richard Gardner said that we should have moral abolitionism. We don't need to think about good and bad. We should abolish it. Uh, Ayn Rand said that we should have rational egotism, that the rational thing to do is always to act in your own self-interest. Doesn't matter what other people need. Forget about poor people, she said. You know, it doesn't matter what they need. Always act in your own interest. So you can see these thought structures about how rationality is conceived in the West have led to where Western civilization is today. Self-interested. Nations care about their shipping lanes, protecting their shipping lanes, but they don't care about 14,000 children massacred in Gaza. They don't care about to stop the genocide that's taking place. This goes back to the thought structures. While Halak, he wrote a book, While Halak, a non Muslim uh, professor of Islamic studies and philosophy in New York. He wrote a book called Restating Orientalism. And in it, he said that the, all of the colonialisms and genocides that Western society has participated in go back to the fundamental thought structures, the way that they have been thinking. There's a psychoepistemic disorder, he said. There is a dysfunctional way of thinking about the human being. The value of the human being is totally detached and severed from any meaningful purpose in life. There is no conception of God's right upon us. From the Islamic perspective, the beginning point of human society and human rights starts in justice, and it begins with our connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says in the Hadith Qudsi, inni nafsi. I have made injustice forbidden upon myself. And therefore, I have made it forbidden amongst you. So do not commit injustice. In other words, we have a just Creator. And we will stand before our Creator. And therefore, we have an understanding internalized within our thought process that justice must be done. We have to uphold justice. To come closer to Allah, we have to be people of justice. Justice is our purpose in life. Justice is the reason for which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the messengers. <laughs> We sent the messengers with the scripture and the scales of justice so that people would uphold justice amongst themselves. So the fundamental view of rationality and critical thinking is totally different from the Western philosophical paradigm where it is centered around increasing profit and power for the elite, when it is centered around materialism, when it is centered around hedonism, maximization of pleasure versus the Islamic paradigm where our critical thinking, our faculties are centered around the pursuit of justice. So that is what we talked about in the last class, giving ourselves the background to critical thinking from the Islamic perspective versus the Western perspective. And what I want to focus on in this class is understanding ideologies, understanding the ideologies. These are so important for us as a part of our critical thinking. When we encounter some argument or some opinion, one of the things that critical thinking requires us to do is to ask ourselves, what are the assumptions behind this opinion? When a person is saying something, what is the ideology that is telling them to say these different things? What is the ideology behind it? Because when people are brainwashed by an ideology, they follow a script. And you've probably know, noticed this in conversations on social media, right? On uh, about what's happening in Gaza. You're talking about, you know, the uh, the, the massacres taking place uh, against children. Are you talking about the bombing of hospitals, mosques, universities, schools? You're talking about all these things, and you're trying to explain it to someone. How can any human being think this is okay? They go back to their script and they try to change the conversation to go back to a favorite talking point. So they use. What in logic is called a thought-terminating cliche, right? They try to end the discussion by mentioning a talking point. They say, "How can I change the topic?" So I will say, "But Hamas this, but Hamas that," right? They, in the in the response that the State of Israel gave at the International Court of Justice to South Africa, South Africa presented this long list of detailed, you know, heavily referenced charges, facts about everything that's taking place. And somebody was doing a Hamas counter on, on TikTok, right? Counting how many times the Israeli uh, legal team mentioned Hamas in their response, right? Just trying to divert things back to their script. So when people follow an ideology, they follow a very specific script. And if you know how to decipher the script, then you will recognize right away when somebody is using the script, right? No matter what ideology they're following. So it's important for us as Muslims to understand the ideologies that are confronting Muslims today, all the different ideologies. You know, historically, Muslims in the West, they, when they talk about comparative religion, they talk about Islam compared to Christianity, Judaism. Sometimes they talk about Hinduism or Buddhism. But by and large, people's values in the West are not coming from Christianity and Judaism any longer. They're coming from these isms. Atheism, hu- secular humanism, liberalism, postmodernism, Zionism, all of these isms, colonialism, these isms are what are determining the patterns in which people are thinking. So, for us as Muslims to engage in critical thinking, we need to deconstruct these isms. These are the Tawhut. Tawhut is the Quranic term for the false deities that people serve. The false gods that lead people astray. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Allahu aminu. Allah is the guardian and protector of the believers. Min he takes them out of darknesses into light. As for the disbelievers, their awliya, their masters, they are the taghut these false deities that they worship. These ideologies, these isms are ta'ghut that are controlling the minds of people so they cannot think morally. They cannot engage in true critical thinking. They cannot liberate themselves from these ta'ghut that are brainwashing them to do acts of unfathomable evil. So this is what Islam is liberating us from. And this is why we have to analyze these isms. So the first ism that I will mention is the ism known as secularism. Secularism is the dominant system of most Western countries. Secularism is the dominant system of Western civilization. And secularism is is usually defined as separation of church and state, right? which is basically you keep religion in your home private and has nothing to do with how we conduct our public life, and we'll create a different set of rules that everyone agrees on, and that's what we're going to live our life according to. But the implicit assumption behind secularism is that what you believe about reality, about the purpose of life, about why we exist, about where moral values come from, what you believe about all these things doesn't matter. doesn't have any impact in how you conduct your public life. And that's why we can just relegate it. We can put it aside. That's the idea behind secularism. So what do you guys think are some Islamic responses to secularism? What do you think are some of the problematic things now that we're putting on our critical thinking hat or critical thinking topi? What are some of the Islamic responses to secularism. Raise your hands. Okay, if you want to derive the rules of the state, where are you going to de- derive those ethical standards from? They have to come from somewhere. And what we see is that they're very arbitrary. right? Now, these societies contru- construct their rules, and they're extremely arbitrary, and they change. As the culture changes, the rules change too. right? The rules about what types of sexual acts are considered permissible in society change. The rules of what what kind of clothing is considered permissible in society changes. So the rules are constantly changing based on the whims of people. Okay, what else? Is an Islamic critique of secularism. Any other thoughts? There is a verse in the Quran where a prophet is told by his people basically keep your worship to yourself why does your worship have anything to do with us and how we live our lives in public does anyone know which verse this is i will give you a hint in the story of prophet shu'ib alayhi yes yes exactly mashallah may allah bless you the verse is uh when the people of shu'ib alayhi salam said uh, they said, Oh, a salatu an ma ya'budu aba'una, an naf'ala fi amwalina ma'nasha. They said, Is it your salah, your prayer, that that uh, instructs you that we have to leave what our forefathers have been doing? We have to leave our culture and tradition? Or that we can't do whatever we want with our wealth? In other words, they, they were espousing secularism. They said, You keep your salah to yourself. What does your salah have to do with how I, I engage with my money, with my wealth? Right? What does it have to do with that? So this was the idea of secularism. The people of Shu'id, the people of madian they were articulating the same ideology. And Prophet Shu'id, like all of the prophets, he called people to Tawheed to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, affirming the rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also taking care of the rights of creation because your moral code is dependent on having the right view of reality. If you don't have the right view of reality, morals become completely arbitrary. You can pick and choose. They're non binding. Just like, you know, all these countries today, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, they issue statements. These statements are non binding. There's no ilzam. The state of Israel can decide whether they want to follow it or not. It's just your statement. Okay, there is nothing binding if you don't believe the moral code is anchored in divine law, is anchored in divine revelation. That's the first point. The second point is when you actually study the ideology of secularism, one thing that's very interesting is the ideology of secularism comes from a guy named George Jacob Holyoke. That's the guy who coined the term secularism. He coined the term. And the reason why he coined it, he coined it in 1851. The reason why he coined that term, he was initially part of a movement in England that was advocating for atheism. And at that time, it was not yet acceptable. So he was thrown into jail. They threw thrown into jail. Why? What do you mean they're telling us to disbelieve in God? So when he came out, he said, okay, atheism is not a palatable term yet in society. So instead of atheism, I will use the term secularism. So if you read the history of it, the term was actually used as a substitute for atheism. And it makes sense because if you tell people that your beliefs about God don't matter, there's not much of a difference between saying that and saying your beliefs about God are untrue. If you tell people whatever you believe about reality, about why we exist, about what is the purpose of life, what will happen to us after we die, if you tell people that all of that stuff doesn't really matter, doesn't affect how you live your life, then it's a very short distance from that point to say, well, if it doesn't really matter, it's not really true. And so secularism is basically a way to... Uh, package atheism in a more palatable way for society. It's like, no, 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 I'm not telling you to disbelieve in your God. Believe in your God, but just keep it all out of sight. Hide it. Keep it in your own. So that is the idea behind secularism. Secularism wants us to believe in, the belief in the fact that all religions are equal, meaning that they are all equally false. None of them are true. None of them have any impact on how we conduct our lives. So now let's focus in on atheism because now we've identified that secularism is really just atheism in disguise. So when we talk about atheism, we talked a little bit about atheism last time. There are positive arguments. By positive, I mean assertive. They they come up with an argument trying to attack belief in God. And then there's a more common thing that atheists do where they go, where they ask believers to prove God's existence, right? So starting with the idea, prove to me God exists, is this addressed in the Quran? It's a very interesting question. I remember once as a youth attending a a speaker's uh, talk and the speaker said, you know, the Quran doesn't really deal with atheism. But in fact, the more you research, the more you realize the Quran does address atheism, but it addresses it at the most fundamental level. Last week, we talked about radical skepticism, which is the root of atheism. And that's what the Quran addresses. Now, I'm going to ask another question. We'll see who knows the answer to this question. There is a verse in the Quran that disproves atheism, that addresses atheism through one letter in that verse just one letter in a verse in the Quran addresses atheism of course there are many passages that address atheism firaun was a rejected belief in the creator the one who debated ibrahim who people say is nimrud he rejected belief in the creator right? there's many passages that address atheism but there's one verse that re- addresses it through one letter in the verse and i will give you a hint it is the first revelation revealed to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. What is the first surah revealed in the Quran? Surah Al-Alaq, right? Okay, one letter in the opening verses that disproves atheism. Who can think of it? What is the first verse of Surah Al-Alaq? Okay, iqra' bismi khalaq. Shaykh al-Islam ibn he wrote a tafsir. Of Surah al-Alaq. It's in volume sixteen of Majmu' al-Fatawa, and in this tafsir he pointed this out. He said, "Through one letter in this verse, we see how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala addresses the phenomenon of atheism." What letter? Ba. No. Let's go through the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> what letter? Who can guess it? Kaf, who said that? Raise your hand. Yes, why? Why can't You're so close. Yes, you identified the letter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Rabbik, your Lord. What else could he have said? He could have said, recite in the name of the Lord who created. But he says, recite in the name of your Lord who created. What does that show? Everyone has a Lord. More than that, what does it show? It has something to do with the fact that we're being addressed. If you tell somebody, Recite in the name of the Lord versus if you say, recite in the name of your Lord. What is the implication when you say your Lord? This concept, this shows you, by the way, that you could have the proof right in front of you, but you need to know how it proves what it proves. MashaAllah, well, you guys all did great. You guys are all thinking, this is, this is real tadabur on the Quran. You can spend hours contemplating, not just one verse, contemplating one letter in one verse. SubhanAllah, this is the kalam of Allah. What the brother mentioned is that it proves that, well, what he said is that it's a given, that the Lord is there, that you don't need to prove his existence. Specifically, what I would add to that is that it implies that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is known to the one being addressed, right? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, recite in the name of your Lord, it means you know who your Lord is. It implies that your Lord is known. He is ma'ruf. He is known to the person who is uh, muhatab, who is addressed by the verse. What does that imply? It implies that belief in Allah subhanahu ta'ala is badihi and not nadari. I'm going to explain this distinction between badihi versus nadari. Raise your hand if you've heard of badihi versus nadari before. One person, okay. <laughs> the one who mentioned the answer. <laughs> there you go, mashallah. So, Badihi knowledge, Badihi means something that you don't need to prove or derive from something else. It is axiomatic. It is an axiom. You need to have that that knowledge that is Badihi in order to make sense of anything else. Versus Nadari knowledge is knowledge that you derive from something else. Okay? Knowledge that is derived from something else is Nadari. So, for example, the fact that the world around me exists is badihi. If I deny that, I go into the problem of radical skepticism, right? Then I can't make sense of anything. But the fact that, uh, that this water is uh, safe for me to drink, it's not badihi. I have to know that, okay, this is a bottled water. Generally, bottled water is safe to drink. for It's safe for consumption. Something like that is nadari. Okay, So there are certain things that are novari that you infer on the basis of other facts. The problem with atheism is they take something that is bidihi and they try to make it novari. You need to have belief in God in place as a basic axiom to make sense of anything in the reality, to make sense of why there is good and bad, to make sense of our existence, to make sense of our purpose in life, to make sense of uh, what is our origin and where are we going. To make sense of cause and effect. If you take something like cause and effect, which is another example of badihi knowledge, and you say, well, prove to me that there's such a thing as cause and effect. Or you take the distinction between truth and falsehood, which is another example of badihi knowledge, and you say, prove to me that there's a difference between truth and falsehood. Or prove to me that the human mind is capable of understanding the truth. You'll not be able to prove it because this is badihi. In order for the human mind to work, it needs to have badihi knowledge in place. It needs to have the basic axioms in place in order to make sense of everything. So the fundamental fallacy of atheism rests on this problem, thinking that belief in God is something that has to be inferred from more basic facts that are a given. But it's not. Belief in God is necessary for any other given in order to make sense. So when you try to argue with the atheist, assuming their assumption that belief in God needs to be derived from somewhere else, you know, the universe began to exist and therefore the universe has a cause and therefore that cause must be God and all these kind of things. You're trying to go in circles, proving something that is necessary in order to make sense of reality. So first, what you have to do is cure that psychoepistemic disorder you have to start by curing the dysfunctional pattern of thinking that is leading a person down that route. And that is causing a person, when they detach themselves from God and they want to create a godless society, what then comes out of it? Yes? Yeah, badihi, the English term is axiomatic. Axiomatic is badihi. Navari is inferential. Things are axioms or inferences. So something can can so the question is very good. Can something change from being badihi to navari depending on the society or the context or whatever? Uh it's true. For a certain individual, something might be badihi because as soon as they think about that, it's just axiomatic. For example, for all of us, presumably, the idea that the earth is round is badih because we have been properly educated in science. But if somebody is in a circle where all of their friends are flat earth theorists which now exists you know now it's like 17% of the american population thinks the earth is flat if their friends are flat earth theorists then it's no longer badihi right it starts to become nadiri and they have to go back and remove those dysfunctional patterns of thinking to to get back at that so that's the role of revelation it guides us to teach us what are the correct patterns of thinking and we have to start by asking what is Bedihi? what is Nadari? what does it make sense to doubt, what does it make sense to try to prove, and what it needs to be in place in order for us to make sense of reality. So that's, that's the short of it. There's a long article that I wrote on Yaqeen Institute called Atheism and Radical Skepticism, which goes into more detail about this. But the last thing I will say is that when you create this godless society then, Then the ultimate value system becomes what? It's no longer with reference to higher moral standards set by God. It's with reference to human standards. So the ultimate reference point then becomes human ideologies. And the human ideology of today is liberalism. The people should be free to do whatever they want. Distrust in authority. Distrust in religion. And this ideology of liberalism privileges a particular group of people right? People who are uh, uh, European. It privileges a Eurocentric mindset. It privileges the suffering of Europeans over non-European people. Other people are dehumanized. And that's why liberalism set the foundation for colonialism to come in and subjugate and devastate other lands. So you create an immoral order based on this immoral thought structure. And that's why when people now are expecting the present world order which the present world order has been structured to safeguard the interests of corporations, to safeguard the profits of corporations. It has not been structured to safeguard the rights of human beings. It has not been structured for a moral purpose to bring people towards their creator. So you cannot expect justice to be delivered from an immoral world, world order. That is the problem of the critical failure that we're seeing today. That we live in a world order that has been entirely structured around following desires, maximizing profit, power, the powerful, subjugating the weak. When the Prophet Muhammad heard about an elderly woman in Abyssinia who was pushed by some youth, and she stood up and she said to that person, that Allah will hold you accountable on the day of judgment. The Prophet Muhammad said, that verily she spoke the truth. كَيْفَ يُقَدِّسُ اللَّهُ قَوْمًا لَا يَأْمَنُوا لِضَعِيفِهِمْ مِنْ How will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ever sanctify a nation that does not protect its weak and vulnerable from those with people, those who have power? The scholars of Islam, they used to say, يَنْصُرُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَىٰ الدَّوْلَةَ الْعَادِلَىٰ وَإِن كَانَتْ كَافِرًا وَلَا يَنْصُرُ الدَّوْلَةَ الظَّالِمَةِ وَإِن كَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will support a just nation, even if it happens to be a disbelieving nation. And he will not support an unjust nation, even if it happens to be a believing nation. Somebody after the class last week, they asked me a very important question. They said, you're talking about how the intellect is conceptualized in Islam versus the West, and how Islam gives us the moral worldview, and the West doesn't. But we see sometimes non-Muslims in the West standing up more so than Muslims. Right? We see, for example, a nation like South Africa take, standing up as a witness for justice more so than Muslim nations. Why is that the case? So when people who are in an immoral world order stand up, despite not having belief in God or belief in the same value system, they're doing so in spite of the thought structures of disbelief that are moving them towards immorality. Whereas when Muslims fail to do that, they are failing to do that in spite of the thought structures and beliefs and value system that are moving them towards the creator and towards moral values. So don't judge Islam by the actions of Muslims. Don't judge Islam by the failures of Muslims. Islam calls upon us to serve a higher cause and higher purpose. So with that inshallah ta'ala it's 815. Yeah, we can take questions inshallah we'll conclude the session. Uh, any questions inshallah please go ahead so this is a really important question so the question is how do you create a pluralistic society right pluralism where you have people with different value systems and belief systems coming together in a society doesn't that necessitate that we have to have a secular state so that's one of the uh, things that uh, secularism has basically made its selling point, right? And it's it's created this false promise that we'll have a state where everyone's treated fairly as long as, you know, you buy into the ideology of the secular state. But in reality, that doesn't live up to its promise because the secular state ends up defining what it constitutes as acceptable minorities, model minorities, and what it doesn't, and the rights of minorities continue to be transgressed upon. Is it true that there is no possible way to create a, a state that is pluralistic except through secularism? No, that's not the case. We have other examples throughout history uh, in Islamic society and uh, you know, that, that scholars have talked about where you can have, first of all, our role as Muslims is to invite people towards a higher uh, moral value system. And this is the perfect time to do that. Right When we talk about justice, when we talk about the values of Islam, this is when many people are Either they accept Islam because they're, they find that value system appealing, or they may retain their own values, but they're an ally on these common value systems. right? So what's interesting is I mentioned Wael Halak, Wael Halak is a Palestinian Christian. And yet in his book, he, The Impossible State, he talks about the difference between Khilafah versus nation states. In his book, Restating Orientalism, he talks about the thought structures of the West contributing to genocide and colonialism. And he went viral because he said, I as a Christian would prefer to live under Khilafah rather than under the nation state. I would prefer to live under a moral world order structured by Islam and by believers in God, believers in morality, rather than living under an order that is, the nation state is an amoral entity. It doesn't care about the moral prosperity of its citizens. It cares about maximizing profit for corporations. It doesn't view the citizens as moral subjects. And so that's the problem. Everything is about maximizing profit. So he said, I would prefer to live under a world order that cares about my moral value, even if it has a different value system and invites me to that value system, but it gives me the right to dissent. I would prefer that because it cares about me. It cares about my, my moral prosperity. Whereas this society, this state that uh, participates in colonialisms and genocides uh, maximizes profit, decimates people, ignores the rights of minority, it doesn't allow for that. And so the, our role as Muslims, as a minority, is to invite people to something which is better. And we have to contribute Because of our value system, we can contribute this to the wider society and tell them, look, we need to start talking about justice, justice for all human beings, not for people of a particular skin color. We need to start talking about dismantling the existence of corporations that infringe on the rights of people allow the rights of people to be transgressed that military corporations are making huge amounts of profit sending bombs missiles you know creating weapons and people are hungry on the streets why are we living in a society like this and that's something that anyone can anyone with an intact fitra can wake up and recognize that to be the case so people's moral sensibilities are awakening right now and we as muslims have such an important duty to play does that answer the question any other questions? Right, right. Yeah. So this is there's a couple points to mention about that. So this idea that you know some people have, first of all, an inferiority complex, right? And this is something that leads to this defeatist mindset amongst Muslims. that, oh, you know, we have nothing. We're we're the lowest of the low, and they're better. And you know, uh, all this kind of mentality is 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 part of what is crippling. Uh, Muslims, that we as Muslims need to go back to our values, need to go back to our teachings and realize the treasure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, and then go out and contribute to society, make society better for all human beings, not just for Muslims. But another part of it uh, is that there may sometimes generally be instances where people who are non-Muslim are following the branches of Iman better than many people who can call themselves Muslims. So that might be the, be the case. And that's why we mentioned the saying that Allah will help a just nation, even if it happens to be a disbelieving nation, that when nations stand up for justice, that is a nation that is acting upon the implications of iman, right? Even if they don't have the, the basis there, they need to correct that basis. But because they're acting upon one of the, the most fundamental implications of iman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives those nations support. So if a nation is filled with corruption, with injustice, human rights abuses, uh, you know, all these kind of problems, that nation is not representing the Islamic values. So that might be where somebody is coming from if they mention that. Does that answer the question? Yes. Yeah. So liberalism, secularism, atheism, all these ideologies, we have to be aware of it because, uh, you know, this is the aqidah of the West, right? The, the theology of the West. And just like, you know, when we talk about Sunni aqidah, we talk, talk about our Mutun, and our manuals of creed that we study. Well today the mutun of Aqida are uh Disney movies and television shows, Netflix, uh the media all around you, social media, it's everywhere you look. You know, the rhetoric, the uh the cliches, the stories, everything that is portrayed is bombarding people with messages to indoctrinate them with the ideas of liberalism, secularism, atheism, postmodernism. And so For us as Muslims, if we don't wake up, what's happening now is Muslims are self-secularizing. Where you have somebody who is Muslim in identity uh, as almost like a cultural label. Uh, Like, yeah, I go to the mosque, I pray, I fast. But their decision-making on any question of morality goes back to the ideologies of the West. That's what determines how they think. Their patterns of thinking are determined by those thought structures. And so we as Muslims need to wake up because We're in a dire situation with all the sources of information and and cultural propaganda that are pushing Muslims towards changing their belief system and their value system. And that's why each and every one of us has that obligation to empower ourselves with that knowledge, that we will be able to pass that knowledge on to others and to create our own sources of culture, cultural production, media, stories, uh, uh, programs for kids. Uh, storybooks for kids, uh, animated shows for kids, so that our kids learn their proper value system rather than being indoctrinated with values. Like even just, you know, I saw a a Pixar movie the other day that uh, the, the lines are so blatant. It's like, why are you going to let somebody else tell you what to do, right? Tell you how to live your life. Like these lines that are just embedded in character dialogue implicitly are are taking people towards this position of liberalism right this idea that no need for values from parents or religion or divine law or any of these things right why are you going to let somebody else tell you how to live your life so we need to uh, educate and empower ourselves and remember that uh never despair of allah subhanahu ta'ala's uh allah uh, subhanahu ta'ala's support allah subhanahu ta'ala says in the quran They want to blow out and extinguish the light of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala with their mouths, with their propaganda. But Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will perfect and ensure the completion of His light, even if those who reject faith uh, despise it. So, may Allah Subhanahu wa Taala protect us. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala accept from us and empower us to show the beauty of Islam to the people of, of, of the world and to uh, guide people to that which is better. Uh,